0: This week's episode of the Art of the Cut podcast is brought to you by LaCie, As one of the leading media storage companies in the entertainment industry, LaSee has consistently brought innovative ideas to the market. By now, everyone knows the iconic orange rubber bumper that wraps the LaCie rugged drive. But did you know that LaCie has a rugged SSD? With the ability to transfer 4K raw video with speeds up to 4 megabytes per second, hardware encryption, and a truly rugged design that will take most anything you can throw at it, including dropping it in water or running it over with a two-ton car. The Rugged SSD is a dream piece of equipment for any content creator who is on the move. For listeners of the Art of the Cut podcast, LaCie is offering 10% off the Rugged SSD or any other LaCie drive when you shop on filmtools.com with coupon code LACIEPOD. That's L-A-C-I-E-P-O-D at checkout to receive 10% off your LaCie purchase on FilmTools.com. So next time you need a new drive, head over to FilmTools.com and use code LaCiePod at checkout to get 10% off your LaCie purchase. Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Oscar and Ace Eddie winning editor Lee Smith, ACE. Lee won an Oscar and an Ace Eddie for cutting Dunkirk. He was also nominated for Ace Eddies and BAFTAs for Inception and The Dark Knight, and nominated for an Oscar and Ace Eddie for Master and Commander. His other films include Spectre, Interstellar, The Dark Knight Rises, X-Men First Class, and The Prestige. I've interviewed Lee before for Art of the Cut, for Dark Phoenix, Dunkirk, and Spectre so if you can't get enough of Lee Smith please check out those interviews as well on ProVideoCoalition.com This is a movie that seems to not need any editing I'm sure that with you at the helm of the uh, cutting room that is not true
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I, I learned my lesson when uh, <laughs> I looked at it and it said it was supposedly in one continuous shot and uh, you know, when you shoot for three months and you have uh, you shoot, you know, up to 39 takes on certain setups, you still need an editor. <laughs> uh, because if it was shot in one shot, it would be a very long day. Editing is not just about joining shots together. It's about you know, rhythms and performance and music and sound effects and and everything in between. So I ended up finding myself, you know, as busy as I've ever been uh, on this particular film.
0: Uh, You talked about rhythms and performance. Other than choosing a take, what can you do? How were you able to affect uh, rhythms and performance?
1: Well, a lot of it was watching the uh, performance and rhythm as, as each take uh, unfolded and having a continuous talk backwards and forwards to Sam as we built the movie. Uh, unlike conventional films where you have conventional coverage and you know you can adapt and make many, many changes in post, we knew this wouldn't be the case. So primary importance on this was that every day uh we were both you know completely convinced that the rhythm and the speed and the camera was in all of the right positions at the right time before Sam would move on to the next setup so and that involved you know not just take selection but music selection for temp music and sound effects because we were effectively building the movie from the get go because of the limitations imposed on what you could do uh you, you just had to be 100 percent sure that the film was working as you were shooting it and uh, if it wasn't then we had to keep shooting or or shoot again reshoot you had to do whatever it took to make sure you nailed it there was no room for error
0: were you uh, i'm assuming on set were you watching a video tap or how was that working
1: no no i was uh in soho so um in london so sam would watch um the footage on his video tap but i would then see it the next morning on a much much larger screen in in much higher definition and give him the sort of unbiased opinion of what they shot the day before in a more theatrical environment which was important to the both of us because had i been on set you're basically privy to all of the ins and outs of of whether the day is going well you know not well equipment behaving itself not behaving itself and what sam wanted is that He didn't want all of those things going through my mind. The only thing that he wanted going through my mind was what was the best version of what they shot.
0: Did they shoot in order?
1: Uh, Mostly, there was a little bit of discontinuity at the beginning of the shoot, um, but, but that was because of weather cover and a few other issues, but it dropped into order pretty quickly you really had to be extremely careful with what the choices were simply based upon how you lined up the next day's shoot so you know continuity of performance continuity of 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 everything came into play and you know there are upwards of 39 takes on certain setups so if you're wrong it had a horrible knock-on effects if you uh, change your mind later because of, you know, just how this film was playing out.
0: How quickly were you able to respond to him um, from the time when they were actually shooting or wrapping up one day's shoot? Were you able to say, hey, I really think take seven is the best take, so then he could use seven as a reference for shooting the first so that take happened of every Alexa. morning oh, it did. yeah that
1: happened every every morning of the shoot i would view the footage first thing in the morning and then we'd discuss take selections and take choices and then commit and then depending on complexity of what we were doing was you know how urgent that was but you know a lot of times basically we communicate every morning before they shot the first shot of the morning to make sure that you know we were all in sync with what they were lining up
0: to. did you try to stitch together multiple takes for the same quote unquote scene?
1: Sometimes, yeah, Depend, you know sometimes it would be you join on more, either different takes to see how they ran, um, you know using parts of takes if I could manage to figure out how to put them together. So you know there was a lot of editorial work involved in it on a daily basis and more pressurized simply because there was the no going back sort of you know way that we had of setting up each shot that continued to the next shot so the pressure was completely different to a normal shoot but you know exciting and uh, kind of thrilling because you're you're also making educated guesses as well Every day on what can and can't work, and uh, that was pretty exciting.
0: <laughs> were you on before the movie started shooting? How long the movie shooting? Yeah, after I, that, what happened?
1: I was on for some prep work where we were just discussing the uh, some of where you know the joins would have to be. Um, really, it was just theoretical. We had sketches of you know what they would be and how they would work. Some of them appeared simple, some of them appeared incredibly complex and and uh, but you know until you shoot it you don't really know what the conditions are and, and that is part of the fun of it was you you make a lot of plans and then you hope uh, that it all works when, on the day and sometimes you know we have to modify what we were thinking and other days it was smooth as silk so you never knew some of the what appeared to be complex, things turned out to be not so complex, simple things turned out to be complex, so it's a tricky way of making a movie, yeah, not for the (laughs) faint-hearted.
0: Do you have any specific number, do you know how many shots there were, not how many edits necessarily, but how many shots there actually were in the movie?
1: Yeah, but I can't tell. Okay. (laughs) under the cone of silence.
0: Oh, ah, okay. I, I know I know all I know all and everything.
1: <laughs> well, of course you do.
0: I was just trying but to figure and, uh, out whether it was like
1: pain of death you will never you will never know.
0: Oh, come on.
1: The gentleman who uh, who edited um Birdman yeah. uh I think he was quoted a lot saying whatever you think a lot more <laughs> yeah, I believe which is that. true it required every skill I think I've ever had over a long career to figure out how to do everything. And, uh, you know, you just, you can make assumptions, you know, when you've, when you've been editing for a long time on what you think you can make work and what you patently think is not going to work. And, you know, that was all of our discussions and everything as to, you know, where things, where you raise red flags about something and discuss the next day shoot and talk about where the projected, for example, join would be as opposed to now you're actually looking at it, you know, for real, you can sort of make an educated guess and go, yeah, maybe not quite like that. And then, you know, you adjust accordingly. But again, it was just kind of more experience than sort of, you know, there's no computerized matching, it's none of that. This was all shot with many, many different rigs in a reasonably organic fashion. It's not like, you know, you've got computers running cameras that are matching exactly, which I have worked on on other films. This is, this is more shooting something in, in the reality of those trenches and the mud and the, and the weather and the sun cover and, you know, it was all very real. It's not, it's not a film that was sort of shot on a set or a stage where everything can be controlled, which makes it, you know, quite even more of a, a wild endeavor.
0: Obviously you have the choice of uh, take, to affect pace, and yeah. you know, maybe the choice of putting two takes together to make one. But what what else were you using? Music, Sound of ADR. How how are you well, changing pace? Uh,
1: we used a few speed ramps, accelerating the the actual native camera speed. We also just, you know, between the choice of sound effects and mo- music rhythms, um, they were the, our other two sort of weapons to adjust pace. Sound effects and music can very much, you know, change your perceived rhythm when you wind in tension and, uh, you know, percussion and in the sound effects and that affects an audience quite dramatically uh and we were very aware of that while i was putting the film together i was doing a lot of advanced uh, sound work i brought the sound crew on a lot earlier than you ever would in a normal shooting environment simply because we were always considering that you kind of had to make the movie as you were shooting it so, you had to know that the sound was going to work, you had to know that the music, even being temporary music, was you know finding the right rhythms and all of that you know to to either wind up the tension or decelerate the tension or you know where to release the audience was just really had to be figured out as we were going. I remember about halfway through the shoot, we took half the movie and showed it to the crew heads of departments and uh, and they were all kind of blown away because it, it was played like you were watching a finished movie. We could only do so much in the visual effects uh, so fast as far as you know crane removal and rig removal and things that were just patently distracting in nineteen seventeen. but we could do enough, fast enough to just keep proving that the film was working and it was working. (laughs) From both a rhythm and pace and performance, all of that came into play. And of course you can adjust performance because I've got 39 takes of people talking, so that's a lot of
0: dialogue. What was the shooting schedule, and then how much time did you have before you uh, got into mix?
1: It shot for about three months. Uh, I think it was 65 days of actual shooting, and then, I was on the job for about nine months all up. For me, it ended, I think, about a week and a bit ago. I think I was still checking the last of the visual effects the morning of the British premiere, which was literally, I think, a week ago. Just a lot of it is in uh, but a massive amount of uh, environmental visual effects work that was done as well. It's not showy visual effects. It's just, you know, things to just, solve problems in the backgrounds of shots and, and, you know, like No Man's Land and places like that. They were very complicated and painstaking to complete, so a a lot of our time was spent doing visual effects and visual effects, you know, reviews, and then when Tom Newman came on, you know, there was a lot of time put into the music, and uh, we were doing a kind of a rolling mix with temps and audience test screenings and all of the above. We traveled to New York to do a test screening. That went very well. And then uh, all of the other things you do, then you get into the the color timing and the finalizing and the race to the finish. Nine months all up is pretty short for a film of this size. Um, Normally, I'd be on it for more like 12 months.
0: You mentioned the screenings. What were you able to do like a, a typical screening you would say oh we'll pull out that scene <laughs> you know, the yeah. audience doesn't like that character know, we we'll laugh, just get rid of them we, what do you what do with
1: that? <laughs> we laughed about that when we were showing it to the studio I said I'm not quite sure what the notes are going to be <laughs> <laughs> but a, a lot of it you know intelligibility uh, it was quite a complicated soundtrack we wanted to make sure that when we screened it that everyone could you know, understand the film, you know, exactly. We needed feedback on the music. You know, like with a lot of audience test screenings, you just need to know where you stand. And, you know, thankfully, we had a fabulous screening um, with an audience that just loved it. So it really just then left us to complete the film and perfect everything that you know, was imperfect uh, in their screening. I mean, obviously, on a schedule like this, even when you're test screening, there are many, many visual effects shots that aren't complete and things that need a lot of tender, loving care. But at least you're not worrying about your movie not being liked. You're just worrying about, you know, making it as perfect as you possibly can.
0: Tell me a little bit about the ability, your ability to be a storyteller in this instance. What were you able to do that affected story?
1: Well, I think a lot of times it was just continuous talk with Sam about each day and and what worked and what didn't. The great thing with Sam is if you ever mentioned that you were struggling with anything or, or something wasn't quite how I imagined it would be, you know, he had no problem in picking it up on the next day and shooting again. And likewise, if he sees something, you know, he could call me up on the weekend and go, look, I'm just not comfortable with this. It seems to be okay, but it's not great. And then we'd talk it through and and talk about ways of modifying it. And then if needs be, he'd go back and have another go at shooting it. And uh, I've got to say, you know, nearly, well, not nearly, every, every time a, modification was made it was for the better and you know again that's uh i think the mark of a great filmmaker where he's just we're always striving for not just yeah this is okay let's move on it's got to be you know great everything had to be perfect you know he he was always asking you know as well whether i ever had the feeling that we should be cutting which was something that i was carrying with me the whole way through the shoot as if I was ever watching the uh, footage from the day before and in my mind going cut or Jesus turn the camera around or we're too long on their backs or we're too long you know before we look across why aren't we looking at what they're talking about all of those questions and a few times you know we had to go back and modify shots because of that there was a little bit of uh, like advanced editorial work where we talk about whether something had run its course and we needed to modify the next section based upon how we were feeling about the section before. And a couple of times he modified the script and what they were shooting to increase the speed events that were happening because we had the luxury basically of continuously watching the movie and then going to the next day. So everything that happened before was basically giving you a guide as to what the next day would need to be in terms of the shoot. So there was a million and one micro adjustments happening kind of on a daily basis. So it wasn't like figuring this film out and then just going out and shooting it. It was kind of nothing like that.
0: Uh, you mentioned that you were trying to choose takes and that shooting next days were based on kind of, sometimes at least based on the take that you chose. How close were you in your first assembly before uh, Sam came into the editing room to keeping the same takes? And then as as he screened with you, were takes changed and, and, and like how much? We didn't change a single take. Wow, but, between, from your assembly? <laughs> uh, You're the
1: first person who's asked that question. That, that was a cool question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I like the way you answered it. I, I'm I'm thinking about calling the Guinness Book World's Records and seeing if we can get you in there for something. That should be a world record of some type. That's pretty darn impressive.
1: <laughs> I was pretty impressive, pretty impressive I thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was but, the... You know, I yeah. mean, we,
1: we could have, for sure. We could have changed takes. But this was a combination of the both of us being incredibly diligent as it was going along. Yeah. Because we just didn't want to get caught. Honestly, to change too many takes would have caused just a massive knock-on effect that probably might've destabilized, you know, even making it on time. So I knew what the stakes were when I came into this. So, you know, I don't think I've ever concentrated so much to get something, you know, so it was unassailably correct. (laughs) Well, at least you try, and uh, but it was, pleasing if we were doing any take selection it was while we were shooting which was just you know maybe backwards and forwards forwarding a couple of times on different takes and then thinking about it for a couple of days but in general terms sam and i were either in sync or very close on take selection and then it would be discussed a few more times and then we just go with whatever was deemed to be the perfect take and of course It takes this long, there is no perfect take, there's the best take, but takes, they're full of human moments. You know, also we had to sort of guess that some of those moments might be correctable and I had to try and correct them with my team as quickly as possible to prove that they were correctable. And that was kind of what made the entire shoot pretty thrilling, I've got to say.
0: Can you give me an example of those corrections? Was it well, ADR probably or... like a
1: camera bump or a stabilisation sort of problem where you had like a beautiful, perfect take because you're in the real world with people carrying physical cameras and whatever that, you know, you, you might have a the camera operator turning to get out of the way, could have gotten knocked by someone and, and we'd look at it and work out whether we could reposition the frame, you know, and just do some tricks in the digital world to solve this momentary problem because you wanted to save that take, And uh, a lot of times we would find a way to do it. And sometimes, you know, it was a hair-raising correction, that you just had to talk it through with a lot of people and just say, okay, we're really confident we can make this. We, we can do a rough version now that makes it look like it just about works. But we know that, you know, given a bit more time, we can make it perfect. And that was another daily sort of thing where we'd have to be very sure that we knew what we were talking about. Because, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't want to get to the other end and go, ah, I can't get from there to there, do more
0: <laughs> For in a normal editing situation, and I know you've done this in, in past films that we've talked about, an edit can be, you know, a weapon. A cut can be... Uh, something that propels the the story propels the pace propels the movie. Um, you were not yep. allowed to do any of that. What else did you do to try to do those same things, or was it just an interesting challenge?
1: Well, it's just a different challenge, and <clears throat> I mean, I could still do certain things where I said to Sam that I'm still, no matter what we think, I'm going to try and get the best of everything in the movie. And no matter what that meant, uh, I had sort of free range to do that. So, you know, for example, if there was three sections that I wanted to figure out how to get the three best parts out of three different takes, you know, that was up to me to figure out how to do that. In a doable fashion, because there's no point just saying, oh, I like these three sections, but, you know, there's no possible way that they'll ever be able to still look like one shot. That would be pointless. But it was surprising how many sort of ways that I could figure out how to do it. So that was a learning curve. That's not something you would normally do. You wouldn't agonize over it so much. So yeah, it was just something I've never done before. It was a you know, it was a definite sort of a, a, a puzzling challenge that he threw out, which I'm pretty confident he knew that's why I'd do it. <laughs> he, he said, It ain't gonna be easy and I went, Yeah, I don't like easy. <laughs> Easy's no fun, I get bored. So, you know, this was a really interesting way to handle this particular story and you know, and immerse yourself, you know, with these two two boys and uh yeah I was all in for it it's like why not it sounds ridiculously complicated let's do it (laughs) and hopefully at the end when people watch it they think it looks simple so and I'm pretty convinced 99% of people think it looks entirely simple and that's exactly how it should be
0: because you were trying to get so much of it done so early did you try to find temp Ahead of time by weeks and weeks, or and have a great library of stuff that you knew you were going to try to use, or uh, was a music super music editor doing that kind of stuff?
1: Well, I was selecting all the temp music. Um, We used Tom, did some demo work that was non specific that um, I managed to use, Uh, but the film was coming together so fast that. You know, Sam wanted to know it would work, so he, he really wanted working music the entire way. And I, what I was trying to do was basically every night after I put the shots together would be to improve the sound and pick music so he'd be able to watch it and you know we'd be able to start to give it a vibe of music and then we'd talk about the music and talk about the style and the rhythm of the music which is why you use temporary music to begin with is you still have to have an understanding of how music is going to work and affect the film that was a big part of my day when you end up having to screen to an audience you still basically have a have temp score so all of that has to be working and working really well Cause you know, bad temp music will kill you maybe quicker than anything.
0: One of the things that I've talked about with other editors is on very long takes in a normally edited movie, that long take has a certain truth to it because there's no edits. Do you feel like that's something that this movie has or is that uh, a, an advantage of doing it this way?
1: Maybe. I- I'm not sure. About that, because I think editing, you know, is an incredibly powerful way to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you said, that I can adjust rhythm and pace and performance basically at will. Doing it in this one shot version is just probably the most dangerous way you can make a movie because it's either going to work or it's not so, you know, it's kind of thrilling. And I guess if there's any editing to be done in a film like this, it has to be done as we did on a daily basis. No point me being quiet and, you know, getting into posts and saying, yeah, I didn't really like that. I thought the camera should have turned around there because that would be pointless. Like, you know, you basically kind of editing just by dialogue and, you know, editing by camera moves and editing in your head everything that you're seeing is still has to tell the story and um, you know you just work within the constraints of, of this this process. So I mean it was I gotta say it was fascinating and was you know, I've been editing a very long time. I've never had anything like this to do before.
0: Love it. Hey you're gonna send me a timeline, right?
1: God if you saw it, I mean I'm in America now, so I don't have access to it. But if you'd have seen the timeline on the on the Avid, if that's what you mean, it, yeah. was, it looked insanely complicated.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it did.
1: Yeah. Okay. It, I, it really did. There was it was nothing like what you'd imagine.
0: <laughs> I believe it. Thank you so much, Lee. It was great talking to you again. And uh, as always, uh, good luck on your next project. Great. Thanks for listening to the Art of the Cut podcast. Also, check out provideocoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks again to my guest, Lee Smith, ACE. I'm Steve Hullfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hullfish. Also, subscribe to this podcast and make sure to tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend.